Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dope Shit My Therapist Says, a therapeutic wellness podcast hosted by Ryan Gaddy and Lauren Fractor. We are two millennial therapists who enjoy having authentic conversations with real people who share their experiences and passions with a mental health twist. Conversations that inspire discovery of self, insight into deeper spirituality, and alternative ways to support mental health and wellness. As a reminder, this podcast is meant for educational and informational purposes only. All topics discussed on the podcast are from the viewpoint of our guests and their personal experiences. Information shared on the podcast is not a replacement for therapy, therapeutic advice, or medical treatment. So I have a happy hour tonight with my private practice, and I've never met any of them before because I started in the middle of the pandemic and we've all been virtual. And so the owners of the practice have been just sending out emails like, okay, our reservations are at this time. And then sent out another email like, okay, some of you really want to meet beforehand and have a drink. So we'll be there like an hour early. And then the other owner sends out a message saying, if I'm laying on the ground, passed out, when you get there, just feed me. And I should, I should perk right back up again, <laughs> like joking around. Nice. Be like, and then we just got another email from one of the other girls saying, perfect. I'll bring the Pedialyte and the IV drip. <laughs> so. Honestly, you might need it. I went out for drinks yesterday with my friend and I feel like garbage today I just had a couple drinks and like it's hitting me it's so funny yeah that'll be fun though yeah I'm I mean I'm excited I'm also nervous just because I struggle in groups I tend to get anxious and I've had just horrible anxiety the last couple of weeks I was just recording on our Instagram saying like I think it's the, the the eclipse and all of the retrogrades I could just totally feel chaos like I can't kind of keep my feet on the ground lately but so it'll it'll be fun but I think it'll take me a little bit of time to kind of relax because you know they are new people to me and you've been in a pandemic yeah, for like a year right. and a half it's really interesting so this past weekend I was uh, at my friend's bachelorette party down in Orange County and Orange County is notorious for not wearing masks and it's like life never changed over there. And so I was like, I looked at my friend and I'm like, are we doing this? We're doing this. We're trusting the science and we did it. And now it's been five days. No, it's been six days since that. And I I feel fine. So I'm just hopeful that like little by little, we'll be able to get back to life. But like I was at bars for the first time and, you know, since everything started and I was like, I don't know how to do this. Right. Yeah. No, the no mask thing, like I wanted to try it and I've only really tried it at an outdoor event. I went to a baseball game a couple of weeks ago now and no one was wearing one. And I was like, okay, we're outside. But even so, like my anxiety, by the time I got home that night, I was like, is this allergies? Am I getting sick? I'm like, oh my yeah. God, if I, if I had caught COVID, like it would have, it would not be this quick. But I mean, just that, that long-term effect of wearing masks and feeling protected by something and then having to let your guard back down again is going to be interesting for everyone. Definitely. And my allergies are bad. And like, also when we're not wearing the mask, like we're going to have allergens. So like, it's like one of those like weird situations, like you described where it's like, am I sick? Am I not sick? And it's really mental, which, you know, mental, our, our mind really controls a lot of how we feel. More than our body does. Like if we can trick ourselves into feeling sick yep. and it's crazy. I mean, I've done it many times in the last couple months because I I've just been like, Oh God, with everything going on. Yeah. When you're in, inundated with that information and then the, you know, it's just 
it's crazy. It's crazy how strong our minds are and whatnot. But I mean, that kind of brings us to our topic today of just the media and how things are shown to us and represented. And um, Lauren and I are going to be talking about TV, movies, and how mental health is represented in those in those forms and whether we think it's going well or if they're way off. Yeah. So I just finished my job at my high school working with teens and Ryan still works with teens at her high school. But I feel like, you know, with our job, we've really been fed a lot of things from the next generation below us. And it's interesting because I don't remember anybody having therapy or talking about therapy once when I was in high school, definitely not when I was younger than that. But like, it's amazing that my former students, they talk to each other about counseling and therapy, and it's becoming quote unquote trendy. And, you know, we, Ryan and I have talked about that word before and how we feel about it. Disclaimer, that's not to diminish anyone's, you know, beliefs and how they feel and their mental health journey. But the, the trendiness of therapy, is it helpful? Is it harmful? Is it somewhere in between? Yeah. And I think there's definitely a, the positives of that conversation that's been happening between the younger generation um, with their friends, I think is really helpful. A lot of my personal private clients that I've gotten are teenagers who have spoken to their friends and their friends are like, oh yeah, you know, I really struggle with my anxiety and I started therapy. So it's encouraging them to reach out for help and to take control of their mental health, which I think is amazing, especially because not all of their parents came from or come from a generation where therapy is an option that you might've chosen right away. So these kids are really advocating for themselves. However, I think because like anything for younger and even older people, you know, when there's a lot of people doing it, it can become like Lauren said, trendy. And then I kind of wonder sometimes like, okay, are you really struggling with these things? Is this your reality and your truth? Or is it like, well, all my friends have therapists and they're all depressed. So maybe I'm depressed too. Uh, really questioning what's, what's authentic for you. Yeah. I think that's been the hardest part is especially working with teens and you know, I've worked with adults. I've worked with little kids, but you know, the last three years I've been working with teenagers is just, you know, I, I like the fact that they can talk with each other about how they're feeling. Oh, you know, it's, it's hard in, in my position as a therapist and, you know, seeing people in my life really struggle and then seeing these kids put a label on things that they may, might not really understand because to have diagnosable mental health issues is very serious. You know, I never once in my life said I have depression, but I've had, you know, moments and bouts of depression. And I feel like that's really important because so I feel like throwing around these topics, especially for the teenagers is really tough because, you know, if you're living with a mental health challenge, that's serious where maybe you need medication, maybe you need hospitalization. It's not something that you just pull out of, you know, a hat and go, this is how I'm feeling today. Mm-hmm. And um, the reason we wanted to talk about mental health in the media is because there's been a lot more conversations about it in the last, I'd say two years. I don't really even remember it being much of a thing before that. What do you think? I'm not sure. To be honest, I'm not really good with time frame, So I'm like, Sometimes I'm like, oh yeah. And then I'm like, wow, it's been way longer than that. I would say maybe in the last five years, but I'm really not quite sure. I will say though, 
that's been a lot of the work I've been doing in my sessions with my teenagers is that education piece for them of what you're saying. Are you experiencing depression and anxiety? Is it situational? Is it something that you're going to struggle with for long term? And there's a diagnosis here. And also just like recently talking about, are you depressed or are you stressed out? And what are the differences there? Because I think high stress level is way more of a thing now for teenagers than it was maybe even when we were younger. They're stressed about a lot of different things that they shouldn't have to be stressed about. And I think that can lead to depression, but having that awareness of, you know, what, where, where does this lie on, on that continuum, as well as trying not to self-diagnose. I think with more conversations about mental health, I have more teenagers coming to me and saying, I think I have autism. I think I have depression. I think I have OCD, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I kind of have to break that down of like, okay, well, what's, what's important to you about having a label for what you're, you're experiencing? What does that mean? What, what if that was true or what if that wasn't true? So, And I think it's because we see a lot of it represented in the media and they're like, oh, there's a label for this or, oh, this is a thing. Yeah, no, that's really helpful too, because I feel like a lot of teenagers are into labels and, you know, we, we have to keep in mind that they're in this generation of pure social media because we are the generation above and we're the ones that had, you know, the um, playing outside and the computer. So we were on AIM at age 12. These kids were having, you know, social media accounts at age eight, which, you know, I think personally is a little too young, but now you have like really young kids being really influenced by different social media sites. And, and then also when they're watching TV, different things pop up um, and mental health is being discussed in a lot of shows than ever before. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a good thing. I think it's a not good thing when it becomes glamorized or becomes overly stigmatized. So I don't know, Lauren, what are some shows that you've been watching lately that you do notice that there's strong mental health themes in? Well, I have a lot. I wrote some of them down because I don't have the best memory. Um, But first of all, I'm a huge reality TV junkie. I've been like that basically since I was a teenager. But the reason I watch more reality TV than anything else is because the job that, you know, we do is a lot and I can't handle sitting down and focusing for an hour on a drama. So I kind of pick and choose between shows. So I'll start with some reality TV. So I am rewatch or I'm watching the new season of the Hills, which is like the Hills new beginnings. It's not the Hills from the Lauren Conrad days with the new Hills with everybody, but Lauren Conrad, which is so funny to me. Um, anyway, it's not that great, but I, you know, I've been watching it since I was uh, what, like the original Hills. I must've been like 14 or something like that. So um, recently, so Brody Jenner, who's, you know, uh, Caitlyn Jenner's son and the step step brother to Kylie and Kendall Jenner, he's been on the hills. He was on the old hills. He's on this hills. Well, he recently became sober during COVID and the quarantine, and it's become a huge topic of conversation. He is known to be a partier. So him being sober is just really interesting. And in the last episode from the other day, he's, you know, dating this young 20 something and he's in his late thirties and she's drinking a lot and he's starting to notice that and kind of control her a little bit. 
So it's interesting to see in reality TV, um, the sober lifestyle of a former partier. And then also on the other hand, another character, Jason, who was on Laguna Beach and the Hills and dated Lauren Conrad. He's married, has a kid, but he relapsed, um, I believe last season from his drug and alcohol journey. So it's interesting for reality TV to show the sides of people who, well, one who relapsed and then another who is now sober. The portrayal for that is a little bit more raw because not only is it reality TV, but they're addressing sobriety. So you're kind of seeing that in the moment. So that's something that I've seen recently. How do you feel like sobriety is being portrayed at that, at this point? Like it's reality TV, but obviously, you know, there's editing involved that can kind of bring a theme or a feeling to it. So I think there's heavy editing, which is reality TV is known for. And, you know, over the years, because I'm a reality TV junkie, I've, I've looked at things, I've read interviews from people who basically say it's like 99% edited. But I think that it was really hard for anybody to be sober during this pandemic. And if that's when you decided to, you know, jump into that world of sobriety, I think it could be really cathartic. What I don't like is the fact that he's now kind of controlling somebody else and they're drinking, mm -hmm. but it's interesting to see it kind of play out in real time. Like not, you know, 10 years ago, but like, you know, in the last couple months, I don't know. I haven't checked on him lately to see if that's still what he's doing, but I think they portrayed it pretty well. So I think in real time, it's nice to see someone really look inward and he's talked about meditating and making better choices. But on the other hand, it's like, you know, you got to take it for what it's worth with editing. You know, you never know for sure, but it, it's interesting to see it all play out like that. Yeah, I, I definitely I mean, this is kind of the way it is with anything, but I do feel with sobriety, there's kind of this, I don't know, judgment that can come pretty heavily about addiction in one way or another. And sometimes it's kind of like, oh, you know, why are you not drinking? And, you know, you're not fun or, you know, there's that kind of side to it, or there's this high judgment of people that suffer from addiction or, um, you know, kind of just going overboard with drugs or alcohol. And there's a lot of stigma, you know, involved in that and that they're bad people because of this. And then people want to avoid them. Plus addiction is a really hard thing, you know, not just for the person who is dealing with it, but also for the people in their life who are trying to support them through that process. Yeah. I don't know that we've ever talked about sobriety on our podcast, but um, that's a huge one that I don't feel like is talked about as much as being in the mental health challenges basically. I don't want to call it a disorder. Um, I don't like that word. So challenge is kind of my word. That's kind of the word I adopted, uh, you know, working with teenagers too, is like, you know, it, it is a big part of um, mental health. And, and I feel like it's just been kind of swept under the rug, but like, it's very serious. And with sobriety, I feel like it can go a million ways. Relapsing is fairly normal from what I've seen. It's just, all right, you get off, you get back on, and that's, you know, why there's, you know, 12 step groups and other, other support groups and stuff like that. But it's just interesting to see like kind of both sides, like, you know, there's the partiers on the show, then there's Brody being sober. And then there's Jason who had relapsed. So Jason's able to be around alcohol much better than Brody because Brody's newly sober. Jason's mm -hmm. been through this, but there's yeah. a ton of alcohol, which can be very enticing and very triggering, but the show is kind of based around going out 
that's kind of the hills is drinking and going out. And I'm sure there's drugs, but they're not going to glorify drugs on MTV. But yes, yeah. there's obviously drugs. I mean, it's pretty clear if you look back on certain episodes, but, um, you know, alcohol is pushed to it, uh, the front and just interesting to see it happen, happen now, but I'd love to hear uh, something that you've watched and you've noticed with mental health. Yeah. So I think the most recent thing that I've watched is I just finished Ginny and Georgia. Yeah. Georgia is the second name um, on Netflix, which is um, one series long so far about this young mom. She had her daughter when she was like 15, I think. Um, and they're kind of just journey together, their relationship, et cetera. Um, and mom kind of has her own struggles from being a young mom. And um, it, they touches on like sexual abuse. It touches on mental health. It touches on drug and alcohol. It touches on uh, self-harm, which, you know, those are all big topics. And I feel like it does a pretty good job of kind of building the storyline of what happens for someone who may have gone through sexual abuse or trauma at a younger age and how it can impact them moving forward into adulthood and really impact their developmental stage. Um, for those of you guys that are not in, I'm not therapist or not, you know, into psychology, when you experience an intense trauma, it can really stunt your developmental stages. So you may get stuck in whatever stage you were at when the trauma happened. And that's kind of what you see for the mom, Georgia, is she's kind of stuck in this teenage-like mindset um, with her choices and how she dresses and a lot of these things too. She's kind of trying to be the cool mom all the time. And the people around her in this new town are kind of raising her almost and teaching her how to be more of an appropriate mother, which is kind of an interesting thing to see. And then the daughter, you know, just the impact that her mom's own mental health is having on her, which is in turn causing depression, anxiety, and then this self-harm. And I felt like the self-harm was just really well portrayed because it wasn't this huge drama of her going into the bathroom and harming herself. And, you know, it just, it was very much like in the moment she was really struggling emotionally, you saw her reach out to that coping skill and then it, it kind of moved on. And for a lot of people that do self-harm, that's kind of how it is, you know, they use it as a coping mechanism and then they move on. So I, I, I kind of feel like they're doing a fairly good job on that show of showing mental health without it being this huge drama. Yeah, I watched it too. And I agree. I feel like they did a really good job and it was, it's a very good show and very well done. And, you know, Netflix productions have a lot of money and it shows, but I agree with you. I feel like I, I like that you brought up the stuck in the trauma phase because in this show, Georgia really, I mean, she's only ha like 15 years older than her 15 year old daughter. She had her when she was like 15. So she's, you know, around our age. <laughs> Um, if we were going, you know, into our lives, but I feel like she's totally s stuck in that stage of, of being abandoned at like 15 years old and having to navigate life and then a child. So I'm glad you brought that up because the trauma is very real. And I like when it's done in a way that's very like, you wouldn't know that if, unless you knew, you know, versus like, wow, it's really out there. And sometimes that's not good to have it just there. You know, you want it to be a little bit more incognito, like in character development, like, why are they this way? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they do a great job in that show of character development. Like, you really start to understand Georgia as it goes along. 
which I think is amazing because it's, it gets, it just builds, you know, and then when she reveals what happened to her as a child to her daughter and, you know, that kind of breaking open of the trauma narrative to the person in her life. Like, I feel like that kind of is relatable as well, that she's tried so hard to be this strong person and to do all these things for her family. But in reality, like she still hasn't actually addressed what happened to her. And just like in therapy for people, you know, unless when you're ready and to come to that point where you're starting to address it, to move move on, you know, move on from trauma, but to heal and to find a new way of relating to it, it kind of takes that path. Yeah, I agree. Another show that I feel like does a really interesting job of explaining things is uh, Big Mouth. Have you seen Big Mouth? <laughs> yes. Yes. Owen and I used to watch that show religiously together. <laughs> so I need to finish season four, but it's uh, I'm kind of just savoring it because it's, you know, that's the last season that came out. But one of my students talked about the anxiety mosquitoes. And spoiler, if you haven't watched this and you don't and you're going to watch it and skip over a little bit, but they talk about anxiety mosquitoes in season four. And I was waiting for that. And then I told her, I was like, Oh, like, I'm so glad you brought this up to me. Cause I was thinking of you and like, it's a great port portrayal uh, they do. So they have the anxiety mosquitoes and the depression kitty. And it's almost like, I don't know <laughs> I if metaphor, <laughs> I don't know if metaphor is the right word, but I'm going to go with metaphor of explaining this because even though it's an, a more of an adult uh, animated series. I know teenagers watch it because I've been told by my teenagers they watch it. And it's interesting to think of it more in terms of like tangible things like anxiety mosquitoes, you know, swatting away those anxiety mosquitoes like no, like, you know, is a great tool to use in therapy. The depression kitty, you know, she wanted to sleep all day and she was like sat one of the characters was depressed and the depression kitty came and she wanted to sleep all day and was she was coaching her. Yeah, you just go to bed and it's really funny but I love that I can like I'm a very visual person so I love being able to see that and be like wow you know if we can sometimes like look at ourselves outside of ourselves this is what it looks like you know you sleep a lot when you're when you have depression and when you're anxious there's buzzing in your ears you know so I love Big Mouth I I think it's a great show I feel like it's nice to have um, again a current show dealing with mental health issues I think they do a pretty good job of it. You know, what do you think? So I haven't finished season four. Um, so I haven't seen the anxiety mosquitoes yet, but um, yeah, the depression kitty, I like it. So it's, you know, and it connects to kind of like narrative therapy, like that's a type of therapy that utilizes imagery to externalize or push something outside of ourselves. So we're not identifying as it. And I think that's a really good representation of, these characters, like these things are coming in and they're impacting them in different ways. And the characters have to learn how to navigate that without, you see these things kind of come and go, like the depression kitty goes away and um, all of that. So I do really think that's a, it's a great show to simplify just ways to really imagine or reflect on things that are happening for us. I agree. One of the bigger shows that I've recently watched that is like extremely heavy into mental health has been euphoria and it's on HBO and it's heavy. It's intense. I can usually only watch about one episode at a time, 
Um, the main character suffers from addiction as well as bipolar. And you really see how those things go hand in hand. And it, it gives flashbacks of her as a child and the early moments that our family really recognizes that she's having mental health problems and this journey all the way up into high school. And so she's in high school now. I think she's a sophomore or junior and she's fresh out of rehab and, you know, she relapses right away and you just kind of see her struggling to really get a hold of everything. And then she kind of meets this new character who is trans and kind of becomes her new addiction. So you kind of see that reality of when you are coping with an addiction, there's not this simple, okay, I became sober. There tends to be this transition to a new addiction, whether it's coffee or smoking or sex or I mean, it could be anything. And in this case for her, it's this, it's this girl that she's become very close with. So they talk about that. They talk about sexual abuse. They talk about really like heavy topics like pedophilia. Um, Yeah. That's intense. Anger issues, depression, domestic violence. Like they really go over just a lot of topics at a very like intense level. Do you feel like it's too much? I... I don't know because it, you know, for us, we're coming from the the visual perspective of a person with a background in therapy and psychology. And so we can kind of navigate these themes that are happening in front of us, but I'm curious to hear from somebody that doesn't have our background and what their thoughts are when they're watching this. So if you're listening and you're in that position, please send us a DM on Instagram. We'd love to know. I would really love to know because I haven't met anyone that's watched it yet. I keep asking people, I'm like, have you seen this? Have you seen this? I mean, it's won awards. I don't know what awards, shows, Emmys, global, whatever. And that's the reason I didn't watch it was because I knew it was going to be heavy. And I was like, nah, not for me. Too much for me. Yeah. But I will say, at least in the portrayal of her addiction, I think they did a very good job of evoking emotion of what it feels like to be a person trying to support someone with addiction, because you just see her relapsing over and over and over again. And she has this drug dealer who's like her best friend who has been supplying with her with drugs for years. And he finally gets to the point where he's like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Like I can't watch you kill yourself. Basically. He's like, you're not using drugs to party or you're using drugs to cope. And so he shuts her down at one point and tells her like, I'm not selling to you anymore. And you see her like at his door, like screaming and cursing at him and saying she's going to kill him. And just like a complete meltdown of like, because she's going through withdrawals and he's like no longer going to supply it. And you see him step up and be like, Nope, I'm going to be here as a friend and I'm going to do whatever I can do to help, help you get through this. And you see her sister and her mom go through that process of watching her, you know, relapse and with the addiction and her lying. And I feel like, I mean, I guess I can't talk from personal experience saying that I have, you know, been close with anyone that's struggled with an addiction, but, you know, I would assume from hearing from clients and other people that that's kind of what it's like to consistently be on this roller coaster of, are they going to be sober? Are they going to be okay? Et cetera. Yeah. I think it's, it's nice to have a show that can portray it in a way that seems very realistic Um, Even if it is intense, because sometimes that's what we need, because, you know, I'm hoping a show like that for someone who has someone in their life struggling with addiction, you know, is a support almost like, wow, you know, even though it's made up, it can be very well rooted in reality. 
in real life, but kind of be like a support to someone who's going through that as a friend or supporter of someone who has an addiction. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least kind of an education almost to other people of like, here's the perspective of, you know, what it's like. Yeah. A a few other shows, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but like, this is us, one of the characters dealing with PTSD and anxiety. So that's one. Another great show on Netflix is Love. And that is, I've watched it twice all the way through, but it's very chaotic. A lot of mental health challenges. Main character is, um, goes through a sober journey. And it's funny because she's actually um, the the actual actress who plays this character. Is it, I I always get this wrong, Tita Taylor? Tita Taylor? Do you know what that that is? Tita Taylor? Something like that. So basically- that person, I can't pronounce it. I'm sorry, but they've never tried drugs or alcohol. Oh, so it's like Tita Taller, something like that. But oh. she does a great job of faking it and acting. Clearly, she's never even tried substances. But um, it's a really good show, and uh, I I really liked it. And it was filmed locally in LA. So yeah, yeah. No, I've never. I I, I mean, I remember like Straight Edge, like that being a term, but I don't. <laughs> I don't know. I've heard of that one or Square. That's even more ancient. (laughs) Right. Oh my gosh. One of our listeners brought up some movies and he brought up Silver Linings Playbook. Have you seen that? I saw it once. I don't remember it much other than there was definitely chaos involved. Yeah. They don't actually, I don't know if they actually give a diagnosis. I think they might give a diagnosis to Jennifer Lawrence's character, or maybe both, but you, I mean, one of them basically has uh, bipolar disorder and I think Jennifer Lawrence might have borderline and bipolar and borderline are kind of hot topics lately. There are diagnoses that come up quite often and I feel like are often the most stigmatized in media. Mm. What do you think? Well, first I was going to ask you, what makes you say that? It's going to throw it back on you. Also, um, for all that know, um, Ryan has a lot more experience dealing with more of the intense mental health challenges than I do. So I want her to speak first. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think borderline I've just seen in like social media, people utilizing that word a lot more. It's kind of, it's a personality disorder for those of you who do not know or have not heard of it. Um, And I feel like personality disorders tend to be picked up as kind of like this thing you throw back at somebody as being all of their fault and that their personality disorder is negatively impacting you, which I, you know, it, it doesn't negatively impact other people, but we don't always reflect on how it might be impacting the person who is struggling with it. So, but I see it in, you know, media as like this overdramatic and untrustworthy and kind of um, attention seeking person and, uh, you know, maybe promiscuous. Like there's, there tends to be kind of a lot of stigma around, around that. And then I feel like bipolar, oh, well, they're erratic and then they're depressed and crying and, you know, they're out of control and they're running around naked in the streets or, you know, like there's, there's a lot of kind of stigma. There's a lot of imagery or things people use. And I feel like that word bipolar just in general is, is thrown around so, so much in people's conversation, you know? 
Yeah, I agree with that. It's kind of, um, and I think we've touched on this before, like, you know, terms like bipolar and OCD are not the kind of terms you throw out anymore out, you know, and I'm guilty. I'm sure a couple of years ago, I said something I shouldn't have said, but that was before I learned. But bipolar is very serious. And if you have bipolar disorder, it's, you know, and I don't know, because I don't have it. And I don't have anyone in my my life that is diagnosed with it, but it's very intense. And it can be scary. And, you know, with therapy and medication, you can live a life. Um, You know, I don't want to say a normal life because it's not a normal life. You can live a life that is more balanced to what your needs are. With Borderline, it's interesting because I feel like the only celebrity I can think of with borderline personality disorder is Pete Davidson. And I, he also has a lot of other uh, mental health issues. You know, it's interesting to see if you don't know a lot about borderline, but, but something that's interesting to see is the relationships he's had are very publicized and they are all so far have ended, which is something that is challenging for people who have borderline personality to maintain these relationships. So I feel like he's kind of been the voice unintentionally or intentionally. I don't know, but he's vocal about it. He's talked about, you know, the mental health challenges he has, but like he's somebody that's kind of stood out to me, but in, in a positive way, like, I don't, I, you know, he's living his life. He's not doing anything that he shouldn't be doing. He's, you know, got stable job. He's successful. Obviously he's had publicized relationships like Ariana Grande and that broke up and that was like, you know, a fast engagement and then they break up and then he's with someone else. And it's very clear from a therapist perspective that those are some of the, you know, symptoms, if you will, of, of borderline. But I feel like he's done a nice job of just like opening up, but not opening up too much to the point where people are like, that's me. That must be me. Cause I feel like once that hits, I'm like, wait a minute, (laughs) make sure, you know, if you really feel like this could be you, then go, go speak with a mental health professional because serious, those personality disorders are pretty serious. Well, that's, that's interesting. So I had no clue that was a diagnosis he had received. Um, but it's also interesting because borderline is usually stigmatized to be more of a woman's disorder. Like you Mm. don't ever hear about borderline disorder with men. Like it's very, very rare and it does exist. It's a personality disorder. It doesn't, you know, (laughs) pick and choose genders, but it's kind of like narcissism, right? You hear a lot about men being the narcissists and that's kind of another term like that gets just thrown around really easily. Like, Oh, I was dating a narcissist or whatever. And it, you know, narcissism is another personality disorder. Like it's, it's real, it's intense. It's something this person is experiencing. And that's not to say that it's not impacting you because it definitely impacts other people pretty heavily, but be just aware that because someone's making toxic decisions or treating people poorly does not necessarily mean that they have a personality disorder, right? It could mean they could, but that's not always up to us to decide. But yes, that, those like, relationship symptoms of, of borderline of really struggling to maintain relationships because of, you know, their kind of enthusiasm to jump into things and feel very intense about things. So, you know, I think it's interesting to see these kind of things in the media or with celebrities that are saying that they experience them. And, and I agree, you know, to, to be, to be open about it is great, but to not glamorize it. 
Yeah. And there's definitely some people out there who have. (laughs) So, you know, when celebrities talk about their mental health issues, I think it could be a very good thing as long as it's not glamorized. Like you said, I think it's very real to look because, you know, teens and kids who are really impressionable look at a celebrity's life and go, they have it all, you know, and then they come out and say, actually, I have depression. And it can make someone kind of think twice, like, wow, I don't know what they're going through. This is, you know, amazing. I have it too, you know, so they could be very relatable. It could be just very real and honest. And I mean, I think it's great if celebrities want to talk about mental health, especially when they team up with other organizations. So I was going to bring up Selena Gomez, who has struggled with lupus, so autoimmune disorder. Obviously, she had a kidney transplant a few years ago. She's kind of segued into doing her own thing with a makeup um, line. And she's also been very vocal about mental health. I don't know exactly what she struggles with. I'm pretty sure it's depression and maybe anxiety. Not sure. But is it a coincidence or is it something else that all of the Disney Channel darlings have major mental health issues? I think that she's diagnosed with bipolar. I I do find that bipolar disorder has been correlated with people who are highly artistic. And, you know, even in the past, like they've said, like, artists like Van Gogh have had depression and bipolar. Like, I really think that for some reason in our brains, when certain mental health disorders exist, there also exist strengths in other areas or the the mental health disorder helps us really key into that part of ourselves. And so you see dyslexia and bipolar being two major things that we see a lot in celebrities, in actors, musicians, et cetera. Very interesting. Interesting you brought that up because I've definitely heard a lot of celebrities come come forward and talk about dyslexia. And that's why school was hard for them. And that's why they put all their energy into, you know, acting, drama, whatever, the music, the arts, because getting through school was really tough. So that's very interesting. Yeah. So Selena Gomez partnered with Dee Dee Hirsch. Yeah. So Dee Dee Hirsch is mental health services out in LA. And helped get people free or low cost therapy. And so she did that the like last week and, you know, May was mental health month. So it came at a perfect time and they had like a live, I think they had like a live on Instagram. So someone from Dee Hirsch and Selena Gomez talked about mental health. So again, a great way to, for celebrities to talk about mental health is to bring on mental health professionals, mental health services, agencies, people who are in the field, because then it, it, I feel like when there's, you know, a real life experience of someone that we idolize and a professional, in my opinion, I feel like I'm willing to like, listen, you know, I want to hear more about what's going on. I don't know if you agree. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, I think, you know, now knowing that D.D. Hirsch is a mental health clinic in LA that I think that is so awesome that she did that that she's connecting with that, you know, because, you know, in our field, the agencies that provide support to people, we're not raking in the money, you know, we don't have an income that comes in super easily to pay for these programs, to support the staff, to support the clients. And so having celebrities or, you know, other outside sources come in to support those so that, you know, they can just be better at what they're doing is, just 
beautiful because our government does not do that. We don't get enough money in mental health services to really get everything done that needs to be done. It's kind of crazy. And depending where you, you know, go for therapy too, like the clientele can be very difficult to work with. And it's nice to spotlight these places because it also kind of highlights the people who work there. And so I, I like that she took the opportunity to like connect with a local and LA of course has so many different clinics, agencies. I mean, being a marriage and family therapist out here or social worker or psychologist is amazing. You know, there's plenty of opportunities for jobs out here because there's a lot of people here and there's a lot of people that need therapy. So I like that she did that. So again, a nice positive, you know, mental health representation in the media. I think she's been doing a great job. Yeah. Well, and that even brings us to celebrities that are on commercials for, you know, better help and talk space and talking about, you know, I think like Michael Phelps was like probably the first celebrity, right? Oh yeah. I forgot about him. Talking about like going to therapy and, and, you know, needing support and, and really just encouraging those things. And I think that's awesome uh, that there's now more accessible, accessible therapy, However, I do think that there are downsides to it. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on what the downsides might be to like advertisements about going to therapy and also these websites that allow just therapy. Let me breathe out for a minute. (sighs) It's tough. So you've told me about your experience with some of these, uh, one of these online therapy platforms. Now I am going to have my license within a few months. And once I'm licensed, I'll have a lot more freedom to work wherever I want to work. You know, if I wanted to work for a talk space, we're just going to say talk space, but you know, include any mental health online service platform in place of that. But if I were to, you know, get a job through talk space, I've heard some negative things on the therapist side. Now for people out there wanting therapy, ah, that's what's hard because I like the accessibility of therapy But like, I have so many questions, like, you know, you can text your therapist. Isn't that a HIPAA violation? I don't know. Ryan, do you have a comment on this? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it'll go through the system. The text messages go through the system. I mean, we just as a clinician who does telehealth, not for either of these programs, but we tell our clients, Hey, like, just to let you know, like texting is not HIPAA covered. So if you send me a long message about what's going on, like you are accepting that the risk of that text message going to the wrong person or, you know, someone grabbing my phone or whatever it is, you have to be aware of that. So that's on you. If you decide to do that, we discourage that. However, I was recently looking through a therapy group that I'm in and people were bringing up, I think there was an article that was written about is platforms like this good for the therapist. And the answer was basically not really because therapists already have a very hard time doing self-care and having um, a separation, especially now from our jobs. And obviously platforms like Talkspace and BetterHelp and all of that, you know, you have access to your therapist whenever you want. So it, it, it really puts the pressure on the therapist to have really good boundaries. You need to have those boundaries before you start that job, because otherwise 
it could be your day off, but if you're checking those messages and you're feeling like you need to reach out to support this person, especially if they're going through a crisis, right? It really, it really makes it hard for you to take care of yourself. So I think that was a big thing that had gotten brought up is that there is no boundaries anymore. Like you just oh, have okay. access to your therapist whenever you want. It's obviously up to the therapist yeah. to engage back, but. Well, see, that's what I'm like, whoa, I don't know. <sighs> what makes it hard about our job is like, we take ourselves out of our profession, which is very hard to do, then maybe we can see things a little differently. But I think that there's so much internal stress, lack of support, financial compensation for therapists that I can't get on board with this because of that reason. Now, if, if we were, you know, and, and I say this as my own opinion, but if we were paid fairly, I think a lot more people would definitely want to do it. Obviously, like I said, I haven't been a therapist on an online platform. I haven't received therapy, but the fact is, is that, you know, I don't want to be treated like, you know, I'm on call, like a doctor 24 seven, you know, we, we care about other people. So for us to be like, yeah, yeah, we're not going to check it. It's even hard. It was even hard for me to not look at my email on a weekend. In that sense, I, I don't know how I feel, but I, I like that therapy is just being talked about. I want more people to share and celebrities, you know, hold a lot of weight, whether they like it or not in, in this game. And so the more they talk about therapy, I'm happy to hear it. But then you get these ads and I'm like, oh no, because I think about the therapist. I think about, oh great, you know, they're going to get a text at two in the morning if they check it. And then I know that they're not getting paid what they deserve. It makes it hard for me to go, oh, it's wonderful because I'd be lying and I'm not, I'm not. Well, and the other hard part too is um, with these platforms, like you will have never ever met your your client in person, right? So if there is a crisis, like it, it's really hard to evaluate almost because also on these platforms, because they're not insurance-based, you don't have to video call. So you may have never seen the face of your client. You could be just messaging back and forth or talking on the phone. And so I feel like as a therapist, it's really hard to really get an understand, like a good understanding of your client. I've Never met any of my private clients personally. Um, they've all been telehealth, but they've all been video. So I feel like without that video, I don't know if I would be able to provide the same amount of care. Also on the flip side of that too, you know, the article also talked a little bit about our goal as therapists are for you to no longer come see us at some point, right? Our goal is to give you the support yep. you need to help you function and thrive on your own. And if you always have access to us, yes, a lot of people are going to utilize the things they're learning in therapy to cope and try to move through it. But if some people are going to rely very heavily on that support and they may not ever have the chance or the push to really utilize those things and see how they're going to work for themselves, right? They have to kind of learn how to push through those things. So I see that as a, an interesting, you know, tidbit too. Yeah, you bring up a lot of good points there. Um, but I want to know from you, Ryan, what do you think about celebrities coming out and sharing about their mental health on social media, on TV? What do you think? I think it's important. I think that in some ways, I worry that they get to be used as just another news outlet you know, for people like our episode on speculation, for people to speculate about their lives and what that means, because then people are talking about, oh, 
blah, blah, blah has this and oh, blah, blah, blah has that. And, you know, then there's just judgment going on and yada, yada. And I think it's good for them to be spokespersons or people, spokespeople, yeah, spokespeople mm-hmm. about their experience with mental health, but it's also not the only, it's not the only snapshot of what that disorder looks like or what that struggle looks like. So I think it's positive, but I also think that it can lean into dangerous in some ways because people really, for some reason, take what celebrities say as word. True. And, you know, with anything else, like this is an experience of theirs, or it could be a script they're reading. We don't know. So what's true for them may or may not be true for you. And, you know, that's like the the biggest thing that we can give other people and tell you that when it comes to anything on the media, uh, on TV, that if you feel like, wow, you see an ad for Talkspace or online platform and you want to try it, like, go for it. We're not going to say don't or give that information to someone else in need. But celebrities... I don't know how much they share because they want to share or their pressure to share. So that's just something to keep in mind as humans. When a celebrity disappears for a while, when a friend disappears for a while on social media, you think something's wrong and it very, it might be, you know, I mean, I think people make fun of the social media breaks that people post. You know why I'm telling everybody on my Instagram, why I'm taking a social media break because I want everyone to know that I'm okay. And then if you need me, you can reach me in real time. Mm-hmm. So celebrity, non-celebrity, if you want to post about needing to take a break or wanting to talk about your mental health struggles, that's on you and that's your choice. And you can choose to do that or, or not. From an outsider looking in, I, I respect people who mention that because then I, I worry less about them and then I can check up on them on my own time. As far as like real life people go, not celebrities, I'm not friends with any, but (laughs) not yet at least. I think that's also important to keep in mind. Yeah. Having a critical eye, valuing your own experience, not thinking just because, you know, a celebrity is diagnosed with something that, and you don't match that doesn't mean that your diagnosis is any less real or valid or anything along those lines. So, um, you know, we all experience things very differently and, you know, not for us to like hate on Talkspace or, or BetterHelp. Like that's definitely not our, our intention whatsoever. We're just kind of giving you guys an idea of what it like, what it might look like to be a, a therapist on the other side, which I don't think gets talked about enough. But if it's a platform that's going to work for you to get access to therapy, then please do it because I think that it's a valuable platform to have. And it is getting utilized quite a bit because I get 7,000 emails a day from BetterHelp asking me to please work for them. So uh-huh. I know it's working. <laughs> yeah, we're not we're not slamming anybody here, but we just, you know, we're always going to give our opinion on the therapist side because that's our truth and that's our life. With that being said, if this resonated with you, please like, subscribe give us a five-star rating. It really helps us. And if you have any questions, you know, you can always email or DM us on Instagram. Uh, you know, if you want to challenge us, if you do it in an appropriate way, go for it. We, we like a challenge, um, but we appreciate everyone listening today. Yes. And we will see you guys soon. We have some great episodes coming out after this one. So we're excited for you guys to share that with us. Yes. And happy pride, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. 
And if you feel called to rate and review and share with the people in your life, you think would like us too. For more info on this episode, check out the show notes. And as always, you can find us on Instagram at dopeshttherapypod and via email at dopeshttherapypod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and check back soon for more episodes.